Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the Wonky Show. This week for Half Term, it's a special edition all about retention in association with our friends at Solution Path. Recorded at our Secret Life of Students event with Helen Higson, Provost at Aston University, Ed Foster, Head of Student Engagement at Nottingham Trent, and Richard Gascoigne, co-founder and CEO of Solution Path, we're discussing how universities are using real-time learning analytics data to spot changing patterns of student engagement, and how that can help target student support interventions and keep students on course. We hope you enjoy it. Ed, Ed, that kind of brings me to you quite neatly is because, I mean, you're head of student engagement and, and analytics at Nottingham Trent. Um, I mean, the reason that you're head of student engagement and not head of retention is, is because there are sort of some quite compelling models that, that, uh, that, that, that demonstrate the interaction between the two. Um, can you kind of tell, tell us a bit about that, you know, what you've learned from, work, from working on, on, those, on, on that intersection? Um, and particularly in the context of COVID, how you and your team are, I guess, anticipating that students may engage this term? Okay. I mean, I think there's something horrendous about the fact that the ABC, ABC of new words for first years is algorithm blended and corona flipping virus. That mm-hmm. you know, that these are words that maybe they are part of the future. Well, maybe not coronavirus isn't, but it's, there's a really interesting set of challenges there. So what I think we know, we know that engaging is a precursor of retention and success. Of course it is, and it always has been. And, and that participation is crucial. And we, we can see that, and we've learned that through um, sort of looking at data now going back for sort of six or seven years around engagement. So we're very clear that from our point of view, participating in your course, participating in the activities of learning, participating in the activities of assessment, etc., are crucial. And I think we can see from studies around the place that those students who also take part in extracurricular activities or volunteering are also have those kind of as an additional correlation there. Clearly there are some things around the usefulness of that that extracurricular, but but it's absolutely down to taking part in in in, in your studies. And that throws up some real challenges for us, of course, that as an institution we can look at how students are engaging and we've got but we also need to look at how we're making sure that students can are we making things as easy as possible for them to understand the lexicon are they making it as easy as possible for them to understand what's new and and i think if we can get one thing right in this this start to the year it's about helping students to approach learning in as questioning a fashion as possible. And obviously Helen's right around that notion of the danger of students just turning up at lecturers' metaphorical doors and just asking lots and lots and lots of questions and not reading whatever literature is there. But this is the year for don't assume that somebody will tell you there's going to have to be some negotiation and some working out for yourselves. So if we can get anything right, it's giving students permission and space to ask questions themselves around um, how to participate in their studies. And I think what we're trying to apply is that notion that we know, we know that students' backgrounds 
influence how they engage with their studies. We know that if you are from a more advantaged background, whether it's because you feel you're culturally, you've got your culturally, you're, sorry, you're acculturated or you're confident in an environment where you're asking people in professional roles for help, you know, all those things work in your favour. So one of the real challenges for us is how do we make sure that we give students opportunities to ask and seek help and give them early feedback and early warnings and ways that they can can participate in a way that and, and understand how they're meant to be playing the game. So and, and obviously from our point of view, always looking at what we do around those disadvantaged groups, what are the things that are, um, are, are sitting in the way and what can we do to help them understand what they need to do. So what we're trying to do is better use of tutors, much better use of the data that we've got and trying to give us more early opportunities to talk to our students and help them understand where they need to go in terms of their engagement. And, you know, just, just for, you know, for absolute clarity, when, when you talk about engagement, you know, what, what are you talking about? So, so, so we use um, the um, solution path tool. We use the, the, the student dashboard, and what we're looking at are those those data points that we can pick up. So from from students' activities, from students' learning activities, and their interaction with certain points of data, we've been using seven points of data around use of the VLE, around card swipes onto campus, about library loans, etc. And what we've what we're doing is we've adapted that for the COVID world. We've dropped dropped the number down slightly. So we're talking about those things that are. Um, indications that a student is learning that they're, they're proxies for learning they cannot be we cannot ever see inside a student's head we cannot know how they're using the knowledge that they are um that, they, that how they're interpreting the knowledge that's in front of them but what we can do is we can see the resources that they're looking at and see how they are actively engaged with them so we use that as the basis for our um dashboard and we then present that data in a way that students can see themselves but also tutors staff in student support services and others can see how an individual student is participating with their studies rich this this kind of this this brings me to you because um you know one of the things we've talked about in the past is is that shift perhaps away from thinking about presence as being an indicator of engagement um and of course in our presence is a much harder thing to measure because either because students can't come on campus because they are shielding or because they're they you know they're you know somewhere on the other side of the world uh, because they uh, you know because they're you know in, in local lockdown and so on you know if, if if universities are thinking about making that shift and and as I talked about sort of looking at different things to try and understand the picture of student engagement how you know how, how might you how might you build a rich picture of student engagement in in a in a covered world um, okay, yeah, interesting question. Thank you. Um, institutions have lots of data. Um, uh, I think it's been very easy for institutions to be able to focus around um, a specific type, not least of all, I think there's a lot of top-down pressure to be able to demonstrate things like attendance and, and that, and, and clearly that world has completely changed. Um, Ed made a point there about proxies. Um, so, of course, the the word engagement i think for universities means lots of different things to different people so that lexicon that gets utilized means different things so the the key thing is being able to codify what engagement means for your institution not just what it means kind of in a broader sense so um there are lots of uh, and we've seen uh, over certainly over the summer we've been very very busy about bringing in new different types of data sources. Helen made mention of asynchronous and synchronous type events. Um, and I think having a rich blend of different types of uh, participation points for, for students 
is the way by which you're able to be able to identify those those outliers, assuming that you've got a precision understanding about what an outlier is, of course. So I think um, universities then should um, think about engagement in as broad a sense as possible, um, you know, not just for those obvious um, educational uh, interactions that, that demonstrate that they are doing some of that learning, but some of those um, edge uh, interactions may be much more social uh, led because I think that allows you to be able to segment your data in a way that allows you to be able to mobilize into different groups for different reasons. Can you just, you know, uh, some, some, someone posted to the chat, um, attendance, physical or virtual is not engagement. And uh, Joanna, uh, do, and, and, and indeed everybody, do remember to toggle your, your blue button to, uh, if, if you want uh, all panellists and attendees to see your comments, to, uh, to, to select that. It's, it's annoying that it, it defaults to all panellists, but that, that is the, the magic of technology. Rich, can you just, you know, why is attendance not engagement? <laughs> if a student's sitting in front of me, you know, with their pen and their notebook or their laptop, you know, why is, why is that not engagement? Um, I, th- I think, you know, even if somebody sat in a lecture theatre that's, that's physically present doesn't mean they're actually engaged in that learning. Um, I think it's very difficult. And look, data is just a proxy for all of the things that are taking place within university. So, um, you know, it, it engagement needs to be defined by the institution and I think it's very easy for us to use um, data as a a proxy for that. There is still um, an inquiry that would need to happen to understand whether or not a student has understood the content or um, so there's ways by which those are you know that those those things are happening whether there's there's you know there's testing along uh, along that process but I think in the world of COVID where um, where engagement is going to be very, very different, having a very broad set of metrics that allow you to be able to um, segment your data in a certain in, in ways that make it useful and allow you to be able to mobilize is the crutch of it. You know, I think we've the, the, this the sector has spent um, an awful lot of time looking at reporting type metrics which tend to be a lot more reflective as opposed to understanding how you make use of data in the moment that allows you to be able to take some action because the, the, the data should just be an indicator to take action. It's not necessary. We're not in a position where we're able to be prescriptive and say, this is the nature of the problem that you need to be fixing. So, um, you know, I'm not proposing that engagement is a, is a, in, in our world, engagement is a, um, is a definitive of how well a student is understanding their learning, but it's a good strong indicator. Um, and, and I'm, I'm sure uh, Ed will testify that there is this strong correlation to good outcome and high engagement, as well as low, en- low engagement and ultimately withdrawal. So as a, as a, as a, as a good indicator, as a good proxy, um, engagement as we describe it is a very good indicator about whether or not a student is participating enough to be able to progress can I, can I jump in on that specific point around whether engagement whether attendance is engagement absolutely I think I think there's a really interesting thing here around it's absolutely true that you can be in a learning learning and teaching space and not engage as absolutely un, unarguable and we also know very well all of us I'm sure people who appeared to do sod all and then came out the other side with the fantastic first that there was something miraculous taking place here so there's a very powerful um 
meme, whatever around that. It's 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 not the same. The thing about analytics that's interesting, I think, is that we tend to have to work in lots and lots of averages. And I would say that if you're looking at it from the perspective of a cohort or from a large group of students, there's a big difference between those who do attend and those that don't. And yes, of course, not every session that a student attends, they're paying attention or particularly focused on. But actually, there is a difference there often between those who are in a room where learning is taking place and those who aren't in the room where learning is taking place. And so I think it's that it's not perfect it's never going to be a perfect correlation but it's a starting point and it's a on on balance it's a it's a pretty good indication that there's either the need to be talking to students or getting them to reflect better or, or not if you like I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to put a, put a pin in this question about the data perfection because I know it's something that is, is, is a very live conversation and something Rich that you've blogged about for the site this week um, and I, I, I commend that piece to, to listeners but Ed we've had, a, we've had a request for you to set out uh, just to put you on the spot your, your seven proxies for student engagement specifically what are they? Okay sorry so the seven proxies that we've been using up until the beginning of September are um, the logins to our VLE and then specifically logins to the VLE learning rooms, so the kind of where the important content is. We also have submission, online submission of coursework, um, whether or not students log into an electronic resource, so they go to the front door to log in via Shibleth to resources. God knows how many this is. Um, attendance monitoring, card access to campus, and um, library loans. And because we think it's extremely likely that at least for part of the academic year, we're going to be wholly virtual, we've taken the two physically present resources out of the algorithm for this year. So we've asked Solution Path to recalculate the algorithm based on only those online resources. So we will show whether or not students have taken library loans out and we will show whether or not students are using their cards to access buildings, but we won't use those data sources in this year because we don't want to hit lockdown and then all our students' engagement to slump. We want it to be as consistent as we can through the course of the year. And we've had two, I think, really interesting and challenging comments about uh, what you measure. Um, and I, you know, and I will, and, and Ed, I'll, sort of, I'll start with you. But if other if other panelists want to kind of jump in and take a view on this, you know, you're absolutely more than welcome. Um, one point about uh, capturing so. Whether whether and and how you might capture insight about how students are feeling, I guess the sort of affective dimension of engagement. Um, are, they, are they sort of feeling able to engage? Um, and you know things like pulse surveys or 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 uh, I guess sort of perhaps slightly slightly less robust feedback than the things the things that kind of present themselves in real time. Um, and uh, Ellen has uh, asked a question about whether it's possible to account in a model for activities that are happening outside the university ecosystem. So they might not be logging onto the university's VLE, but they might be doing all kinds of other things. Um, and you know, that, that I suppose is a tall order, but you know, to what extent is that something that you've discussed or thought about or, or has, uh, and, and, and I guess I'll come to, come to Helen and Richard on that one as well in okay. a second. So, so taking the affective to begin with, um, one of the things that we do each year is um, an annual survey with our first year students. Um, and we get reasonably good response rates, you know, um, sort of 10, 15% of our first year will respond to this. And the thing that I'm really conscious of is that when we look at this as a group of students, what we see are hugely, the, the respondents are hugely skewed towards the more engaged of our students. So when we look at the kind of overall engagement. And so... It is possible to add in much more of qualitative content, but I'm also really conscious of the who answers these surveys or who answers surveys means that we are, 
it, it, there are some problems with that. I think one of the things around, I think one of the things that the, when we look at learning analytics from an ethical perspective, one of the issues is about all of the kind of decisions and rules that get made around students, but also around the subject, in this case, students, but also about what happens next. And, and so it's really important to think from our point of view that um, we're not overly prescribing what, what has to happen. We're, we're offering support, but we're not saying, you know, we're not laying down very hard and fast rules about what comes next. So, so in a perfect world, yes, it would be wonderful to get much more affective content in, but I think we've got some real issues around we may only get it for a certain proportion of our student body, and that might then mean that it's distorted around those who engage. So we'd never rule anything out. And in response to the second question around data from outside the ecosystem, so we do get quite a lot of, if not pressure, a lot of requests from within the institution to include activities such as volunteering, membership of student union clubs and societies, um, whether or not students have got paid employment. And all of those things are valid. All of those things are really interesting and useful in giving us a perspective about the student. But I think the issue for us is there's lots of data quality issues. So if someone has paid employment, we would have, what's the thing that we're looking for? Do we have to capture every time they go to work? Do we have to capture a self-reflection on how many hours they do? How do we make sure that we get it consistently for every single student? Because if we don't, we're then going to have, again, some students with more detail than others. And, and potentially this then distorts how we respond to that. Um, and so I think it really, I think it, and ultimately what this can, what we're, what we're talking about from a, from a student success perspective, from an analytic, use of analytics, is we know that a student might be doing lots and lots of work. Somebody might be volunteering, paid work, family roles, etc. But if they're still engaging with their studies and putting lots and lots of time and activity in, it's quite possible that they're just very good at time management and they've managed to, to balance that. Now, now, I think what we would like longer term is that we would like to be able to capture lots of that extracurricular activity and that richer nature of who the students are and how they react and, and how they engage with their, their wider life. But what we would like to be able to do is to put that into the dashboard in a way that actually what it does is it gives tutors and students richer conversations around who the, who the student is and what's valuable to them and, and ways of motivating and engaging with them without necessarily putting it into an algorithm, which I think is, is much more problematic as a kind of as a data source. Rich, on a sort of purely technical perspective, I mean, what are the, what, what, what are, what should be considered if you're thinking about integrating these, you know, these sort of external sources of data into, I mean, what, what is essentially something that is designed to predict, uh, you know, and, and manage risk? So, so look, data is inherently noisy, especially the data that we're talking about here, which is um, proxies for participation. So um, kind of normalizing that data is a, is a critical part of the, the process that, we, that, that, that we've developed over time in concert, in concert with, a, um, with our partner customers. Is, it, it's that understanding about how you make it actionable. Um, so the, people talk to me about the value of a particular interaction. How can we prove that somebody's done some learning because they've, they've taken a book out of the library? Well, well, of course you can't. It's this proxy point that we were making before. But part and parcel of the thing that we do is to understand that individual student behavior over a period of time. So the analysis isn't just about that one, indiv- uh, that, that one process or about the way that the universities delivers their education, the relevancy of how that student is learning um, and measured against their peers gives you a really good strong indication about how people are 
uh, interacting with you know with, with the university and their resources so uh, by bringing it into um in, in, in and, and, and analyzing it and turning it into a single piece of actionable insight there's a lot of processes that need to happen and part and parcel that is is normalizing flattening the data um and making it less relevant about the number of times that somebody's maybe um, done a particular activity, but the regularity in which they're able to approach their, their learning. And that, that is a really good indicator because people who succeed, whether it be, you know, uh, somebody that goes down the gym three times a week compared to three times in a month and then four times, the, the consistency of that behavior will deliver a better outcome for that one individual. So, Part of the understand the data isn't just the quality of the data, but the consistency of it and how you can turn that into actionable insight. I love the I love the, the extension of the gym metaphor. <laughs> they all say, you know, higher education. You have to you know you have to, you have to use the equipment and the and you also have to use it consistently. <laughs> um, Helen, yes, there's a really I, interesting I, thing. Well, well, uh, do, do you want do you want to go ahead if you've got if yeah, you've got, got kind of point, well, points burning? Go. To, I was going to use the gym analogy. Um, but um, I won't. I mean, three, three quick things. The first is on data quality. Um, the danger is that everyone wants all, lots of data in there. Oh, let's, let's measure this. Let's measure this. But actually, uh, my advice is to keep it simple. I think this is what Ed is also saying. Mm. Um, and one of the things we, we've done is the first year, we spent a lot of time making sure that the quality of the data was absolutely top-notch because you have to get students to trust it um, and if you have too much data then that's more of a problem but then the second year making sure that we we really understood what what, what which of the data were important and which wasn't and um, I'll, I'll be do a bit of self-promotion now and tell you about our paper Summers, Moores and Higson which is about to come out which explains which data we think are important Secondly, um, let's get um, the balance right. The data is important, but actually, for me, the data are the secondary thing, because what you want is something which gets the student to engage with someone who's going to have a conversation with them about the data and about the, the other things around the data. And that's when things like are they doing too much outside work or are they volunteering things can come into the conversation. So what, what I want is a dashboard uh, that the student will go um, and have a conversation with, with their personal tutor or someone else and, and that they can have that discussion. And, and therefore, like the gym analogy, you both, you both need the personal trainer and the commitment of the, um, the, the, the person who's going to use the personal trainer. Um, and finally, I suppose we need to remind ourselves what we're actually doing this for. Um, just before this session, I was trying to find the research which there is, which shows that a student who drops out of, the universe, of a university in the UK has fewer life chances than if you've ever been to if you've never been to university before, and I think the data shows it's slightly different in the U US. So each student who drops drops out is a personal tragedy, and and if we take on these students at the university, and if we are not allowing them to thrive, um, 
then then we have a moral responsibility. And, and I think the combination of the data helping you to as a lens to taking you for each student to a discussion is the really important thing to do. I think it's really it's it's really important. I think to make that distinction between the data that, and, and I think particularly Helen, from your perspective as you know a leader who's having to kind of I guess monitor and look at and 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 see what's going on in the university. The data that you might gather to inform you um, and start a conversation at a strategic level about what needs to change or what might needs to be enhanced. There's a quite interesting point came out sort of saying, well, how does engagement data help you understand what sorts of learning and teaching? students you know students want to engage with this is you know there's, there's all kinds of opportunities with that but that's one kind of data and then the kind of data that you build into an algorithm you monitor pretty much all the time that it's designed for people who are very close to the students to have a really great good grip off so that they can start that conversation if that student seems to be getting into trouble is that is that a sort of fair different distinction and 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 you know is that is that how you see it you, you want you want your personal tutors to be looking at those and your students to be looking at those dashboards all the time and having those conversations. But you also, um, uh, um, I and members of my steering group want to be looking at the general patterns. Um, and for example, this year, um, I can give two examples. One is we've moved to data analytics being used for our postgraduate students. We've never used that before. And we've had to think about how the engagement of postgraduate students will be different from undergraduate students. No good bringing in an undergraduate assumption. And, and, and secondly, um, the students um, for, um, through the pandemic, the students have told us that there are certain things that they liked better about doing things online. Um, and so we have um, changed our algorithm and actually changed our and the proportion of our um, more static um, information giving um, so that students will get that um, all online. And then they say they would like more small group work. Um, and so we've changed the algorithm around that. And we've also changed the balance of um, the small group work to the large group, um, the larger groups. And that's all by analysing the data over a three-year period mm. and yes being able to evolve and and be responsive because you've got the data is, is yeah. very much part of this picture but you have to keep you have to keep looking at it as just as just one thing in a decision making um mm. process Hi, it's Debbie from Team Wonky here to tell you that on the 4th of November we'll be hosting an event bringing the sector together to talk about student retention at Don't Drop Out, Averting a Student Retention Crisis. We'll release new research into how students are feeling and hear from student unions about what's going on on the ground. We'll think through the challenges for universities of keeping students on course, helping them socialise safely and maintain their well-being during all the disruptions they're experiencing due to COVID-19. And we'll ask about the national policy implications of a potential student retention crisis. As the government frets about how to bring students home for Christmas, should we really be thinking about what happens in January? Do we need to create an exit strategy for students and a safety net for universities? That's Don't Drop Out on the 4th of November. To find out more and book your tickets, go to wonky.com forward slash events. Uh, Rich, I mean, you... You, 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 a 
as I, as I mentioned uh, root for the site this week um, about imperfect data and about and about kind of not and, and I mean Helen talked about high quality data you've, you've talked about imperfect data and uh, we've had a, we've just had a comment in from Anna which I think is really uh, pertinent and actually I think I think actually rather speaks to what the point you were trying to make which is is that of course individual students are much more than the aggregation of, of the data and, and, and their behaviours and their interactions with their university um, and that investing too much resource in data analytics versus conversations with students is probably is you know is, is a real risk here and, that, and um, can you can, can you speak to that I mean what do you mean by imperfect data and, and, and what was the kind of warning that you were trying to communicate in that piece? I think the the, the, the sector as a whole um, has had to report um, with with clarity about uh, progression and and there's, so there's a top-down strategy um, about what data means. Um, of course, you use data to uh, develop empiric evidence about your findings as you're doing your research. So data inherently has meaning. So the, the journey for lots of institutions is, is to try and strive to get to a place where um, there is no doubt and there's, you know, there's, a, there's an argument that, that, that can't be disputed. Um, so that desire and that effort um, is an is potentially an ever ending task in its own right because that's uh, you know and especially in a in a learning landscape that's ever evolving. Mm-hmm. So recognizing that what you've got or what you've got as a resource to you today, and I'm calling out to the whole sector because most institutions use similar common platforms that you can start deriving this insight from is you've got enough to be able to get started and it's starting that conversation that is super important so to go to the point that Anna was making absolutely this isn't about um, you know the students aren't just an aggregate of their data but what you should be able to do with um, with some surety is get to a place where you can start having the right conversations with the right people at the right time. And I think there's a lot of tech out there that will tell you how risky certain subsets are, but don't really tell you when to take action. So we were very much focused around how place where they can take action and I think that the procrastination I think for some institution has um, a profound effect because taking time um, over that exercise is taking time away from the student in my view that often could result in quite some significant challenges for them so um, it's a really you know, um, that data is an enabler um, for a conversation and it's not a replacement for uh, a, a, a conversation, if you see what I mean. Uh, absolutely, Rich. Your uh, your internet is, I think, fine, but it's a little choppy. So I'm going to, but, we, but you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure we, we got the gist of that. And, 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 and as I say, I, com- I commend people to your piece. Um, but Ed, I mean, you've been through this process. If we think, if we think about, you know, moving on to, you've, you know, you've, you've got some data <laughs> and it's, it's, it's enough. It's enough to get you started. And, uh, you know, you can, you can improve as you go. But, but the really fundamental thing here is saying, okay, well, what do we, how do we use this data to spark a conversation? What, is, what, what does that actually look like? And, and uh, we had a comment in sort of saying this is about the quality of the intervention. Um, you know, to what extent, you know, how do you assure the quality of those interventions? Okay, so, so 
the, the way that we work this is so, so there's there's one of we try and use the data around interventions in one of three ways so the first is giving information to the students themselves. So actually saying to students, look for yourself, see how you're doing. And the way that the dashboard works is it shows students engagement in comparison to their peers in their cohort. So they've got some sense, some indication of what's going on for them. I think what I would say about that is what's what's quite clear is it appears to be a better motivator. Seeing that data appears to be a better motivator for students who are already relatively well engaged themselves. So I don't think for most students, showing them data actually changes those who are doing very little. Well, suddenly it's the, not the metaphorical kick up the backside. I think actually it works as a good reassurance for people, for students, not necessarily transformative change. So that takes us to the next area of intervention, which is around the role of tutors. So again, what we'd expect is that if a tutor is doing a one-to-one -one tutorial with their students, what they have is the information to hand where they can get a sense of who the student is and they can start to frame questions at the start of that tutorial conversation. The other thing that we do for tutors is that we raise alerts. So any student that's had no engagement at all for 10 days in their first year or 14 days in subsequent years, we generate an alert. And this year we're running a pilot where we're sending that to a small call team in half of our academic schools. And what we're doing is that we'll use a coaching approach to try and identify what the problems are with students and then help them to go and make appointments with either their personal tutors or with kind of student support services. And the last way is, is much more around using the data to take a look at cohorts of students and say, okay, could we target interventions on a mass scale around character education or culture build, or building up their student communities and based on students with engagement? So, so I think what's really important is I think feel very strongly that data is really valuable for giving student, giving staff members a focal point, a starting conversation, the, the beginnings of diagnosis. And it may well be that the data is wrong because we're talking in averages, and it may well be that students are highly engaged. And as one of the questions kept, that came up earlier, they're highly engaged with a, with a local library or a resource offsite. There's, gonna, there's always going to be limitations to the quality of the data, but I think it starts the conversation. If you're going into a conversation with a student early in the year who appears to be doing very little, it at least gives you some starting questions to be talking to the students. I think we're quite clear that data itself is probably not a motivator by and large. I think there may be some examples that we've got from personal tutors where they've spoken to their students and said, how are you doing? And the students go, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. And the tutors metaphorically and physically turn the laptop around and go, are you sure? And that's led to some conversations. And I'm not sure ethically it's the right thing to do, but I can see how it would shock some students into kind of going, oh, damn it, maybe. But I think for the most part, the things that then change students' behaviour are about relationships with staff members or sense of place within the cohort with their peers. So actually, it, it is a deficit model, this, this approach that we're using. It is a kind of picking up from behind, but it's trying to find ways of then working with students so that they feel supported, that they feel that someone's watching out for them, someone's aware of, of how they're doing, to try and help them understand what they need to do to, to cut it back on, back on track. And that really is down to the skills of a tutor, the skill, the interpersonal skills of coaching, advising, setting goals, checking on goals, those kind of activities that are, of course, time consuming. Um, and, and the data gives us a sense on that, doesn't necessarily drive a particular form of kind of, of, of coaching approach. Yeah, absolutely. Can I, can I add something to that? Absolutely. Um, so I think um, I would clarify um, that it, it perhaps isn't about low engagement per se, um, our analysis shows that it's um, early engagement activity that is predictive of attainment. So this is really, really important. 
because um, it seems likely that some students don't know what they need to be doing to achieve high attainment, particularly early on in their transition. And this is transitions are really important. Um, and so the fact that, um, that this has shown us that actually it's those first two or three weeks of term where um, we can see that those students with low engagement, lower engagement um, across the different, um, different parts of the algorithm are likely to be the students who continue to have um, that lower, in, uh, low attainment unless there's an intervention. And that's really important to us because then we can put our resources and our training um, of our staff into that period of time. And Helen, how, how do you do that? I mean, that, a question came in basically, you know, saying what, what support is given to tutors to enable them to both both understand the data, so I guess know what they're looking at, but also uh, have those conversations. And I would also, you know, contextualise this, that this, the, the, the absolute vital role of personal tutors has come up again and again throughout mm. this conference in, you know, in, in, these, in these particularly mm. challenging times as a point of connection, as a, point, as, a, as a resource, mm. as a place where conversations happen about both about kind of learning techniques and also, but also about, I guess, uh, emotional states. Um, so what's the kind of, uh, what's, what's the picture there from your perspective? Well, um, two, two things. The first is um, making sure we, we have a set of what we call senior personal tutors within our colleges who are really experts in having these sorts of conversation and who understand the complexity of the, of the different demographics we have. And so they will support groups of personal tutors within the colleges. And then secondly, it's about making sure that um, the training of personal tutors is embedded into, for example, our postgraduate certificate in the CPD that we expect staff to undertake each year. Um, and that they have a very, there's plenty of support for them, not just through the senior personal tutors, but through um, areas like the Learning Development Centre, the counselling services, um, so a lot of support to those people. It's it's um, being a personal tutor is both a challenging but a, a joyous thing to do. Um, um, but we need to give people the the skills and the tools to do it. Mm. Rich, I mean, one of the things we're learning is is that you know the Nottingham Trent approach and the Aston approach is slightly different. And of course, you work with a kind of bunch of different universities across the UK. What are universities? What is that? What is that journey towards kind of deciding? Uh, what I guess what the you know what goes in what goes in to the definition of student engagement? Um, what what does it look like to raise a flag? Uh, what you know? How are we? What happens when low engagement uh, is is identified or? Uh, you know, what, what are the different approaches to this? So, so both Helen and Ed were talking there about um, about learning from their their data, right? So, um, I, I think there's a really important point here is that that that, that, that the, what they've been able to do is even with the imperfections maybe of all of the noise that gets generated by the data that they're able to start asking a different set of questions that they that they were before. Um, so there's you know so having um, technology that at scale that, that covers the entire institution with the different types of students, whether they be PG or UG, um, whether they be part-time or full-time, 
allows you to be able to start asking different questions of those different groups. They create new data points, and then you can start building some some of that best practice. So, I th- what what we're seeing is a, is a, is 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 a number of different intervention strategies adopted by institutions. We've got um, very focused kind of outreach activities that reflect that early stage intervention. So at the start of an academic year, very much focused around the the no activity and the kind of non-engagement type activity. Um, And we see throughout the academic cycle, um, interventions being driven systematically through the application using um you know some alert logic and it could be alert logic based around individual um activities around a specific type of task so we're seeing a real blend of the different types of ways at which data is being used to start the conversations um with those students um, the the next iteration really, as I see it for institutions, is really getting an understanding of that feedback loop about what impact that we are seeing from those um, those interactions, which should increase the learning and the agilities of, of, of those organisations that are using the data to inform the next, if you see what I mean. And those are being used for lots of different reasons. I think there was a there was a comment that was made earlier about how does it how does it relate to different learning materials. Well we can certainly see that the use of video lecture capture leading up to a um, a period of, of of exam period means that those students who utilize that resource well progressed really well. And I think those are obvious pieces of insights that you're only going to get at the point where you've got a real holistic, broad understanding of your data. So interventions inevitably come with an amount of jeopardy because, you know, if you're going to start a conversation, it, it, it often means that you want to start in the right kind of right place. So you should never kind of jump in with the assumption that because Johnny hasn't been coming to your particular lecture, then it's a, it's a problem of Johnny. Do you know what I mean? It's a, so, so interventions are broad and varied from across the uh, uh, across the sector from you know from the our customer experiences ed you mentioned you know students having access to their own data and um and i guess that's that's both a sort of practical thing and a and an and an, and an ethical thing as well um what what difference have you found that make, that makes in terms of uh, i guess supporting the conversation but perhaps as well um starting a different kind of conversation perhaps between students or between students and subject tutors and, and you know, as other people as well as, as, as the personal tutor? I think it, I think it drives lots of, lots of interesting, it drives lots of interesting conversations, some not necessarily very constructive conversations. So occasionally what we get <laughs> is students saying, hang on a second, I definitely was in that session. Why isn't my attendance captured here? So we do get queries that are a bit odd like that. Um, we also get interesting things around for some groups of students, they really like competing with one another about having the highest engagement scores. And, they, you know, you can probably guess the courses in which this happens a lot and you probably guess the gender of students that it happens a lot for. So there are some issues there around slightly negative or slightly troublesome kind of uh, game, gamification approaches, if you like. And of course, the system is very gameable. You could do that if you choose to do so. Um, but I think more than anything, it, it just... I think Helen raised this point around first years in particular that that whole thing of 
what the hell is normal here? You know, what does, what are the ground rules for this? And obviously you can get that from conversations with tutors. You can get that from conversations with your peers. I think showing students their own data gives them another lens through which they can see a little bit about what normal looks like. And of course it's, it's limited and it's partial, but it's just another way of helping them to ground themselves in terms of this is what normal is starting to look like. So I think there's a really important thing there. I think it's a really profound ethical consideration of just that, that whole problem of, we have data on students. We are using data on students potentially to offer them additional support and interventions. And it feels very fair that we make that information available to them. So we're not hiding stuff from them that, that they can they can see for themselves. And I don't think we've had many conversations where students have gone, I am engaged, get off my case, you know, leave me alone. But I do think um I do think it just so it helps students to kind of understand where we are coming from, if you like. Rich, we've had a question in. Um, what are the measures of success of student engagement analytic activity? And, and and I think this is an interesting one for you because, you know, when you when you and, and you know and we're, and we're you know we're not we're not here to you know specifically kind of promote your platform or, or anything, but you know, but when you're sitting down with the university um, and they're saying, you know, okay, well, what will this do? You know, what are what 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 you know. What what what's your response? <laughs> you know what? How 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 do you know if if, if uh, you know having having kind of worked with the university, put all this stuff in place? You know what? How how do they know it's gone well? Just have been able to prove that that um, uh, the engagement categories. Um, so there's a, there's an underpinning score that exists, right? So um, that that numeric value um, is 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 a is an interesting piece of insight in its own right. Um, so growing scores means increased activity increased engagement results in higher higher levels of outcome but we go through a process where um we're able to prove that particular point um using institutional data and i think in lots of cases there's an expectation about the importance of certain types of data um so there's many things that influence whether or not a piece of data is useful or not in being able to identify those outliers um, how frequently it's generated you know there may be some really great learning tools that allow you to be able to understand how well somebody's learning but if they use relatively infrequently then you know it's 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 a very quiet noise in a corner as opposed to some something with a stronger signal so there's lots of it's not a binary response ironically um sorry excuse the pun um you know, we we, we <laughs> sorry I've, I've distracted myself now um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's not a it's not a an, it's not a, a simple answer but what i can say is a point that i was making earlier is that consistency in students behavior um, is a really important part of the of, of understanding whether or not actually they're going to go on to succeed because, and that's why I'm saying that actually some data is better than no data. And remarkably, we can get some, you know, some good insights just by using relatively, um, you know, f- uh, low numbers of, of, of data points. I think the, you know, the data science uh, scientists out there will go on a, um, will be holding their head in the hand saying that we need lots and lots of data points with lots and lots of, you know, data to be able to, and it becomes a never ending, you know, uh, shoveling the data into the bucket and actually you know you can go a long way an awful long way 
with um, a limited amount of data. And I'll go back to the point I was making before. I think it's not a data exercise that we should be on now. It's an exercise in being able to find new ways in which we can mobilize resources into the right places because ultimately, you know, we need to be more responsive to the to the human aspects of the of, of the people in this process. You know, here's me as a data person telling you that you need to be focused on the people. <laughs> There's some irony in that. So that's about it for this week. Remember to delve deeper into anything we've discussed today. You'll find links in the show notes. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast automatically. Just search for The Wonky Show via Apple Podcasts or your favourite Android podcast directory. Or you can find the feed that you need on wonky.com forward slash podcast. So thank you to Helen, Ed, Rich and everyone at Team Wonky for making it happen behind the scenes. Until next week, stay wonky. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.